Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey folks, you're listening to The Hang, hosted by the Broadway Podcast Network. This week I chat to writers, producers, actors, directors, yeah, they really do it all, Crash Buis and Lauren Seneschal. I only met Crash and Lauren recently when they cast me in their latest film project, but I found their creativity and work ethic so inspiring that I simply had to hang with them and find out more about their backgrounds, where they came from, and what motivates them. Please enjoy. Corey, no, because I think yeah. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> so you always worry about getting on stage and something in your on your in your nose. In my nose, yeah. That's and usually that's usually the one. So I just go, I just keep going like that. I'm like, oh man, somebody's gonna hear me sniffing back here, and they're not gonna think it's. But isn't that weird? <laughs> because <laughs> when you're on stage, you're playing a human. What, what, characters don't sniff. No, no, absolutely no, not. not. No, I, no, I didn't don't put cough? that in the script. No, they're I'm not on no. stage characters. <laughs> like if I sneeze on stage, I sneeze. So if I'm in Funny Girl playing Nick Arnstein... And, and you sneeze. sneeze. Nick Arnstein. Well, Nick Arnstein like, has a classy, yeah. classy, classy sneeze, though. He's, yeah, you can't a good, have a Ramin yeah. sneeze, no. The Ramin sneeze <laughs> wouldn't fly, but you're, you're two in character, so... Of course, method, method. <laughs> yes, all the my, way. My worry is always my fly being undone. Yeah. And the worst is, like, once you have it in your head, you need to check. You could be halfway through a solo. So I remember I was doing still in Anastasia. Chest. I'm like... <laughs> just, and how do you... No, there's no way to make you just, that look good. I mean, <laughs> just kind of move so your pants stay together, and then you just walk weird. Pant in front. Yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, my uh, as Park Fetch was a guy I went to grad school with, and one, we'd go on stage one time, and it was like I was opening for some college show or whatever. He looks at me, he's like, "Check your fly, and don't fuck up." And then he went on stage, and that was his good show. That was his like break a leg. Brilliant. I was like, it's nice. But then you're checking your fly. Yeah, all the time <laughs> on stage. Have you ever? Are you kind of naughty on stage? Like, let's say we're in a scene, and then I'm like. You know, you look down and you fly. It makes the other person think, like the, oh, oh, that's my mean. fly's undone. I know it's mean. God, it's mean. I'm usually on the receiving end of that. Like, someone's <laughs> eyes will do that. I'm like, why are they looking over there? What's going on? <laughs> look on your shoulder. Are you the kid who thinks that, like, you think that you're on the receiving end all the time, so you try to fire back, and they're like, he's always doing that. I think I he he's the victim here. 100% I'm on the receiving end, because I am the... If I think something funny, I'll, I'll think it's funny. Right, so that you get a... Yeah. Yeah, I told you guys that story when we were shooting about. in Les Mis. I get called in the office for me and your corpse. And I said, no, Valjean is having, <laughs> finding something funny. Because I'm only receiving and playing off what's happening on stage. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a little rat, so I'm not going to tell you what's going on. Who was you, doing what, yeah. And to be fair, it was a gauntlet of things just to get to who am I. I'm like, <laughs> would you guys just leave me alone? And that's the thing, because on shows like that, especially when you're close with some... And, for me, I always find those who are the, probably the most talented are the most deranged as well. Yeah. And they're like, they'll smell blood like, oh, we, we, we see a little thing in his mouth. Let's get him. We're going to get him. I oh, mean, man. you made yourself an easy target, though. 100%. They know. Thing. So get it's like, him. yeah, we got to do comes. it. That'll be nice. It'll be nice to get to that point where I'm like, whatever. No, it made sense. Instead of going, I'm sorry. I misbehaved on stage. 
There was always there was this one moment in Love Never Dies where I had to, as a phantom sing off stage. Now again, what I tell you, like month one, everything's smooth. Month two, still integrity. Month three, people start getting a little bit bored. They look for how can we entertain ourselves to pass the next five minutes. Right. Oh, there's Ramin singing in the wings, watching the queue. Christine, Christine, don't think that I don't. They'll be in my ear before I sing. Like instead of me getting my note, like Chris, they'll be hey, <laughs> but what the heck? And then you, Ooh. but you're live, so you just got to do it. So. And then they found, oh, we can affect them. Then they'd be around me more and more oh, to no. the point where I would be hiding somewhere behind curtains, like crouched down, <laughs> hoping I'm in time because I have to hide from these crazy friends of mine. Sure, yeah. At one point, they were literally taping me as I'm singing. There's a tape going around me. I'm like, we're grown ass adults. What are we doing here? <laughs> Do you feel like at some point that like when you get to that like usually people talk about like doing theater performances and stuff and it gets like it just gets more ingrained as you go along it gets really deep and you start to find new things do you feel like sometimes you're in a show where you're like nah it was better the first two months because we we all got used to it and it was especially with something so, so technically demanding as like a a musical where it's like it's always the same beat it's always the same moment you're trying to make it fresh but it's you have to hit these marks do you well, feel like i find as time goes on I, from personal experience, but also those that I vie with on stage, even if they are having fun, they, most of the time they do it in character. And I think, well, that's fun. It's almost like an improv. And it, as far as I'm concerned, if it doesn't affect the story and only feeds life on stage yeah, yeah, within yeah. that story, then that's great because you're getting a vibrance. But I think we, I know I can be guilty of it too, where you always want to keep it fresh. So your intentions are right, but you could be over layering it to the point where it's like, strip it back to remember what you found in the room mm -hmm. because we're not playing to an audience who might come repeat over and over again you're paying you're playing the story that you set out to tell yeah. you know and the i don't think time, and yeah. but i don't believe it has to be like a cookie cutter i can't work like that and no. i think you got to run with instinct once you've done all the work and you have a parameter to swing with but if you start over layering it you kind of miss wait what was your objective what was your sure the point of this moment, you know, don't play the result, play the transition. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the like benefits. Like we just we just did a film over here, right? It's one of the cool things about. Well, like, we'll this is like the the prelude to the conversation. First of all, crash, Lauren, welcome to the. Oh hand. yeah, <laughs> we'll keep all Thank that you. in, and we'll. I'm gonna dive in because I had a supporter from my app, or some to throw some questions in, and this one I think can be the whole premise of what we're going to talk about today. Oh, cool. But let's start with your names. Crash Buist. Uh, Crash Buist, yes. But give me the story behind the name Crash. Cause... Oh, great. Uh, yeah, I, I was born Clarence Paul Buist the fourth, and like that's too many of those. What are you talking about? So, super posh. That sounds awesome. Yeah, but I'm from Texas. Like that's where I was. I grew up in Texas, so it was like. So say it again. Clarence Paul Buist the fourth. Did you have a ranch? Uh, no, vineyard. Of course you did. Yeah, weird. So <laughs> a my, vineyard in Texas? Yeah. So my dad was a computer programmer in. California and he had his own business and then uh, moved to Vegas to do freelance stuff for casinos. Uh, brilliant guy um, and was doing really well and then decided that his next venture was going to be moving us all to Central Texas to a town of 2,000 people from a 5,800 square foot like house in the suburbs of California to a, or in, in Las Vegas to a 800 square foot trailer house in the middle of nowhere. And it was interesting because like Texas has a uh, a, a great scene, kind of, 
and um, there's a whole thing about the soil and where it lands on like the Pangean belt oh. and stuff where like it's really rich, but the weather is a nightmare. So it was not the most successful venture ever. <laughs> <laughs> they say if you want to make a small fortune in agriculture, you should start with a large one. Right. And, uh, <laughs> so, but it was, yeah, so that's what we ended up doing there. And uh, it was cool. But So is Texas known for its wine? Is no, it, it is not. No. But they but it has some really good wine. There's some really good Texas wine. It's just. So what was your. Who did you supply for? Or did you have your own? The vineyard was called Robert Clay Vineyards, and uh, it was named after my my brother and I. Uh, his name's Bobby, but Robert, and I was Clarence and Clay for short when I was younger, and then I changed it, being obnoxious. In so how did you? Grade. Would you, that's where you decided to be called? Yeah, Crash? yeah. Um, I, it, it was a weird kid. <laughs> I, as a lot of it was just like me trying to get away with like, uh, yeah, I have bad eyesight, and and I don't know. I just like I'd be crash into things, and I, I think it was mostly just the Crash Bandicoot. Thank you. Character. Yeah, that's I, think, I think is. that's it's really the what video it was. Game. Yeah. And <laughs> are you legally called Crash now? Is it on? No, it's just like business name right. stuff, but that, and still says Clarence on the. But on growing the up, all your mates call you Crash? Crash, yeah. yeah. When your dad calls you? They crash, yeah. Really? When, when grandma gave up and started calling me it, I was like, okay, I guess this is. Did they ever say Clarence when you knew you were in trouble? No, because it didn't. It was more, it's actually more, I think it was more accurate to yell Crash at the thing that's in trouble. <laughs> it was it made more sense to be crashed. Than, That's yeah. awesome that they ran with it too. <laughs> yeah, they were they were really supportive. And then we got Lauren Seneschal. Yeah, Seneschal. Seneschal. I don't have a cool cool story behind my name. You got a, <laughs> you got a great last name, Seneschal. Thank you, thank you. So it's melodic. French. I was yes. going to say it's French. <laughs> so was both parents were you born there. Were born in France know, in French no. Canada. No, my uh, my on my mom's side. French family, Court Manches, her maiden name, and then my dad, yeah, last name was French, and um, and his dad was Native American, so kind of a weird combo. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Well, that makes... Okay. So, I said we had a, a supporter write something in, and this will bring us into how we know each other, what we're doing here, what you're doing in England. Great. So, this is from Chang Yi, I believe. I hope I'm not saying that incorrectly. I probably am, so I apologize. They say, hope you have a great podcast recording session. Would like to know, and I think this will really tie in well with why what we're going to talk about. Would like to know if the pandemic has affected the way they view or approach their creative pursuits, be it music, filmmaking, as compared to how you would have done things in the past. So how we know each other. Yeah. You guys wrote, filmed, starred, produced in this new film venture called Echelon which you cast me as William Wright, one of the characters, which we just shot here, all on green screen, here in London. You guys flew over for that. Mm-hmm. So rewind. Where were you, based on this question, before the pandemic started, what were you doing? What were you doing before the pandemic? I was in grad school. I um, had in just Austin, started Texas. in Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas, that's right. University of Houston. Um, I'd gotten there the year before, and we met doing um, Shakespeare Festival, the the um, Houston Shakespeare Festival. Houston Shakespeare Festival, and um, and you were in L.A. Previously, so Previously. Jack had, Jack Young, who runs the professional actor training program uh, at the University of Houston, phenomenal school. Um, the major perk being the major one of the major perks being that they pay you to go to school there, um, <laughs> which is a pretty good deal when it comes to graduate schools because um, you do you know, TA work and right. um, you teach classes and stuff. So, um, but yeah, he, he had, he knew me from 
I was at school a few years back, years previously, <laughs> uh, and she was coming into the program, and so we met doing that show. I was I played Mark Antony in Julius Caesar, and she was uh, Celia, Celia and in As You Like It. As You Like It. And that was where we met. Yes, yeah. and uh, he had moved to Houston uh, the exact week before the pandemic hit, just by chance. It was Everything his shut down on my birthday. So that was it's my fault, everybody. It was March 12th. Please blame you, yes. March 12th, <laughs> 2020 was my 30th birthday. Everyone stay and home and celebrate Crash's birthday. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. see you in two years. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'd come back to Houston to shoot a feature. It was like my sort of my idea because I was in L.A. before that. And just not, like, I had had some interest in a couple of ideas and films from different people and everybody's... Everybody's going to get your next thing done immediately all the time. Right. And uh, I started to realize that that was not true. That, like, at a certain point you have to, especially if you have the capability and you, and I spent a lot of time learning lots of different stuff about the industry, post-production, editing, um, sound. I was a boom guy forever, like, on sets and just had done every job. And I was like, why am I not doing every job? And the answer is because it takes a tremendous amount of capital to actually have the tools time resources to, to do all the jobs you can't you know just go out there and make your film but in Houston I had known a lot of people that had um property and friends and family where I was like oh I could shoot a thing over here with the equipment that I have and and I could do this and I could oh I could cast friends from school and I could cast like teachers and and Lauren's there and she, we could work on something together and like thinking that it was going to be a legitimate full-fledged production that I was going to like do this a production is all prior to pandemic prior to the pandemic and then as soon as it hit it was like, oh, well, none of that's going to happen. Yeah. Like, I can't work with any of the actors I want to work with. I can't get my friend, uh, you know, I can't get Thomas to shoot this thing. Cause nobody's seen each other and nobody's. And so, and she got stranded away from school. Yeah, you yeah. couldn't. All of the shows that we had planned were shut down. Everything went on to Zoom, which was an absolute nightmare. Doing theater uh, school over no, Zoom is just the no most point. stupid thing no you could ever imagine. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a devil's advocate here. Going, oh, God. No, I will say that they did a fantastic move. job. Where's the physical truth? You have to sit like that. I'm probably the only one of the three of us though that didn't do any of it. Like, I remember my first Zoom production was like a year and a half after the pandemic started. I like finally did a Zoom thing, and I was like, "Oh, this is why." I was wants just to do laughing this. at him the yeah. whole time off stage because he. I didn't mute. Like, I, oh, I, I was off muted for like two minutes. You know, <laughs> I did the whole thing. Everybody's like, "Don't you know this by now?" So hang on, because I wanted this. Is, I'm interested. In, so you guys are trained as actors mm-hmm. during. So you decided you wanted to start writing as well. You just had a knack for that, or a, a drive, or a fire for that. Yeah, I, so when I was in undergrad, undergraduate training um, at Texas Tech University, it was yeah. a much better theater school than it, than it now than it was when I went there. It was no audition program, and some of the best actors I ever worked with were there, but it was a lot of not. And uh, so I wasn't getting cast in things for whatever reason. Maybe I wasn't as good as I thought I was, or whatever. But I started deciding that well, I was going to do work anyway, and I started a theater company when I was twenty there and it was like we're gonna do a show in an old abandoned fire station and we're gonna go over here and do some found space stuff and so I started writing at least one acts at that point um and continued writing until grad school when I started working on Shakespeare and Ibsen and Williams and all the things that we started working on there and then I discovered that oh god I'm not as good of a writer as I (laughs) thought and maybe I should just stick to saying words instead of writing them and then it took a long time to get back into it but then yeah started writing screenplays in LA and that kind of thing and then <laughs> Screenplay for you, or you were being commissioned? All for me, yeah. It was all with the idea of like, I'm gonna write a great film, <laughs> kind of like Chaz Palminteri writing the Bronx Tale. He's like, I'm gonna write. Yeah, I mean, so, so sometimes a bit, it, 
show business, right? So once you start to realize that it's not just about plays and art, you're like, oh, I actually need to like eat or I need to get my SAG card or whatever. Like the first one of the first things I actually wrote and produced my short film was purely to make it a SAG Screen Actors Guild picture so I could maybe get eligible to join the union. And you have to like have something produced. And so it was the same muscle again going like, well, if I'm going to get stuff done, I got to write it for me and it needs to not be bad and, and it needs to get done and work with people that are in the union. So yeah, so all for me. Pretty much, it's like I like to write things for me to be. In. And then when I met this tremendous, talented artist, and then we went, I moved to Houston. I was like, well, we need to do something together. We need to do something that features her, not knowing that she's one of the most gifted writers too that I'd ever met. And you did this in a lot of the same stuff, right? In undergrad with yeah, writing with I wrote a lot fatigue of and everything. You guys had a yeah, mostly wrote um, scripts for stage, things like that, doing short competitions and and. Um, working on a full-length one, but never anything for screen before. So, and, and you were doing that as part of like, this is what we do as actors. We want to be on stage. You want to write. You, you had a passion for that. Well, my best friend in college was really, really talented at writing, and kind of got me into it because of just watching him figure out how to put things together and creating stories. And I was like, I think I can do that because I love. I've been reading and enjoying plays for so long I was like I think I, I think I have some ideas for it and kind of crafting things together was uh challenging but it was really really fun something that was you know you do you wait around so much to get cast in things and you're just it's all relying on other people to put you into art and so it's like okay you start pushing the box on other things that you can do for yourself and how do you expand and how do you keep creating when you're not on stage so so that's a good point so you you realize that Basically, you got to go after what you want, and it's not necessarily going to be handed to you or be served up for you. Yeah. So that brings us to the. Yeah. Wait, go on. You're going to say but something. Yes, and also like when you do get handed something, it, it's inevitably garbage. So you're. I mean, <laughs> his I've philosophy, worked, right? Yeah, there. it's really but it. But you man. handed like, me this you, film. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Exactly. So. But you, he made it. You so try to be garbage, like, well, right? if, if the garbage is the levels here, then like <laughs> you know, your grad school I was saying, like you see all this Shakespeare and the Shaw, and, and you're like wow, this is what rewriting is. And then you go to L.A. and your first short film project, you know, at the U at USC or whatever or wherever is like, oh, no, this is the this is the level of thing. Oh, and then you watch what, something on Netflix in. and you're yeah. like, man, it would be so great to be in that. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, because then you get paid and da, da, da. But then you're like, okay, well, as long as I have a laptop, I could write something better than that. Why, why don't you, you know? Or at least learn that you can't and then learn how to do that. Anyway. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. So then that brings us to the pandemic. Everything shuts down, and now you think, oh, shit. What are we going to do with our time? Yeah. What are we going to do with our life? Like, So you, you just got there. So where were you living at this point? Uh, so I was living in a house in the Heights in Houston, um, we'd sort of been squatting in what ended up becoming a set later. It was like a <laughs> abandoned recording studio that like we were hanging out in that has like an upstairs area. And we were kind of hanging out there most of the time. Lauren was still living, you were still living with your roommates right mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah. Um, and that was where we sort of like hunkered down in quarantine. And 
Yeah, so the entire, all the scripts that I had, I had about three features in the in the backpack that I was like, we could do one of these, were impossible suddenly. Um, so we mostly played video games for like... For a while. Yeah, for like a Are long time. Are you a time. gamer too, Lauren? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely getting into it more with him. <laughs> <laughs> what are you playing? Uh, well, we played through Dead Space and Dead Space Two. All very scary. And what yeah. platforms is on? That was on P- P- PC for that one, yeah. right? Yeah, because I had like sort is of. Is that the right terminology too? Platform. Platform. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's you damn it. That's great. <laughs> that was a close one. <laughs> yeah. Atari. Atari. Are you? Are you? It's on the are Xbox. You on the, the SNES. Are you on that Xbox? Oh, the Snooper SNES. <laughs> yeah. So you gamers passing time. Mm-hmm. And Where's Echelon at this point? It's nothing. Yeah, it was... Uh, you should tell that one, because... We we didn't really... I mean, we were trying to figure out projects to do. We did a short film for... Oh, my God. We did a... <laughs> forgot about that. We did a short film for a competition, because everyone was like, what well, you need? Something you know has to do with the pandemic, and we were just bored and looking for something to do. It was one-minute short films, and, like, in by yourself or whatever, like... Yeah. And it was a thing about... It's called delivery that we did, and we won a couple competitions with it. Where I was just a delivery dude who showed up to the house, and she was, she was. The premise was that you were what you were speed dating. I was just yeah. My character is in quarantine, and she's going to different delivery apps, and then like trying to flirt with all the delivery boys. But she's just going through them. And yeah, because so, you can't meet anybody, so she was just like ordering food and then trying she has, to like, seduce like whoever shows the porch up. And who wrote this? We we, we did. We together. actually just sat down. And we're like, we need well, these to be done in three days. So what do we do? And we shot it, wrote it, shot it. Edited it, we painted it our in. front room for it, and then we like set up curtains and tried to make it look nice for. Did frame. a whole production design. And this is during it. pandemic now. Yeah, this yeah. was like this is our first thing in the pandemic. Yeah, uh, and that was fun. And then so my what did you shoot like, that on? That was shot. Did you have all the gear at this point? He had a bunch of gear from when he was working in in LA, trying to create some short film stuff there. So, so. were you buying up gear over time, thinking I know I was I'm trying to this? start some semblance of a production company in LA, and it wasn't I wasn't sure what. I wanted to do, but I knew that, like, I wanted to do stuff for, like, I was shooting real for friends, like, actors that didn't have a lot of film stuff. I knew that that was important and that I could get my reps, like, messing up exposure and ruining, well, Brian's stuff might be terrible, but, like, at least, you know. I know for next time, It was free, you know. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah, and that's where I started, like, learning the camera stuff. But a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema 4K camera is, like, I mean, it is the... It's like a $1,300 camera, which is like a lot of money. You just geeked out on me. Was that the name of the camera? It's the name of the camera. Okay. It's a terrible name. It's the worst <laughs> thing. What it's happened? Black Magic is the worst out. name of a camera you're, you're So what's a, that is the actual name of a camera. Of a camera, yeah. And it's just like a chunky looking, looks kind of like a regular stills camera. But right. then you hook everything up to it and make it look professional. Um, but we didn't have any of that. So with that, we ended up shooting a thing for the short film. Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, I mean, it's a minute long thing took us two days well then surely like a hundred minutes let's just do a feature <laughs> like well nobody can actually do that math but it shouldn't be that long right <laughs> that's an impossible equation yeah that's yeah i was like yeah it'll be a hundred times more time and that's it it's like no that's not it was much more difficult than i thought but that was the idea is like well we shot a whole thing just the two of us so, so let's just shoot a whole feature, a feature together film. of course you can absolutely of course you can and then i think yeah. to answer the question like yeah like it, what, how does it influence the pandemic influence what you're doing? Is like it limits you. And I think one of the coolest things that I've learned over the course of my life with lots of limits and limitations and, and, and being incredibly privileged enough to act on things, like I feel like, oh, yeah, you have a video camera, dude, and you have, like, some cheap lights. I had a friend that I did theater with named Chip who, like, sold me all of his old lights for nothing 
because he was like, like old tungstens that were falling apart and stuff because he was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate production. I just want to do acting, take my things. And it's like, how lucky that I had like all these old beat up yeah. lights and stuff. But, but like, then, then, but then you have this limitation of like, it's only the two of you and suddenly all of your ideas have to fit within this Where's all framework. your gear at this point now? You got all these tungsten lights. It was lights. all up in that, in that, in that, in another old abandoned building at that point. So, which was part of the thing is like our limit is we only have two people, but our, the luck of it is we have these empty buildings that nobody's using because nothing's going on right now. So where does Echelon start? <laughs> well, we, uh, we had a f couple of your friends in LA sent us um, that there was a, a competition going on for just a script that if you could write a script where people are socially distanced and the story worked and everything, then you would win and they would produce and get a director on board and do the entire thing. So we're like, that sounds fantastic. We should just write a script and send that in and we can start working and see, you know, what will come of that. Heidi Hornbacher is a great writer that I met in LA that was actually very good at writing certain projects and it wasn't garbage. Right. And she was like, you should do this. And then, so we... So we did it and we yeah. sat down and we, we wrote the script and... And uh, just before we sent it off, we read the fine print. And essentially, if you sent it in, you lost all rights to it. You Re would have no hold on regardless it. Regardless of whether you won the competition, it was they no longer yours. the rights to own, use your script for, you know, in perpetuity Whoa. for the rest of time. And after writing and it, we like, got so attached to it. And we're like, we really like this idea. It's really cool. We want to do it. Yeah, I don't, so yeah. Why I bet, don't we just I bet they were like connected it. to Warner Brothers. We need some more scripts. Just do this and we'll just keep everything that comes in. For real. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it was, yeah, you know, they're not producing the good ones and they're just keeping them or whatever. You know, <laughs> I, I'm sure not. I'm sure it was, a, I mean, I'm sure it was all legitimate and whatever. And, and they were putting in, the contest wasn't just that you like did your film with them, it was they gave you $50,000, which sounds like a lot of money, especially when you have no money, as we did not. Mm -hmm. um, but when you start to put it all together, $50,000 is like, it not, does not go a long way. Not in film, no. Um, but the way we had written it, it would have gone a long way because it was just the two of us and like locations that we had. And so you've got the script, you, mm -hmm. ha you like it, then you don't want to hand it over. Mm -hmm. No. So then what? Then we, you had to build a spaceship then. So you, because, oh wait, but course. you decided we want to build this, we want to do this film ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point you think, I've got tungsten and lights, I've got this. Yeah, I've got all these old honky lights and stuff and we got yeah and we had won a competition with the short film and we'd won like a little and they like, sent the, us lights so we're like wow okay, the single worst the single worst just LED light I've ever that fell used apart that every time we used it it but. still works though I don't want any of the brand okay. but it was like one of those off-brand lights where you're like surely this will fall apart next we were time. so excited we're like we're professionals now it's like my first LED <laughs> light they're like oh man it, like, it plugs in and like it has a little knob that like turns on and then it's got all the like different uh, effects and stuff. And you just have to turn this little knob, which means every time you touch it with your hand, it starts Suddenly strobing. you're in a thunderstorm <laughs> and you're, yeah, it's a nightmare. But it was, yeah. So you decided to, we're going to we're gonna shoot ourselves. ourselves. So you're going to build a spaceship. Mm -hmm. So the premise of the film, it's called Echelon, right? But the idea is it's space Rapunzel. If uh, in 2050... 2057? I should know the year that my film I think 2057, isn't it? 2057, that's right, yeah. And then uh, what if like a future Jeff Bezos slash Elon Musk slash whatever uh, who has sort of full control over like the corporate world and governments and everything uh, lived in a space station and kept his daughter that no one knows about in a, a, a ancillary pod. pod space station 
thing that like nobody knows about. And some hacker, the sort of fun writer character, um, discovers her. But when he's hacking into the stuff for an organization that wants to pay him a bunch of money. Um, so set up the whole thing where nobody had to be next to each other. Everybody could be, you know, it, and put it in a post-pandemic world also. Not this pandemic, but like a fictional pandemic that was far more deadly and dangerous. And to emphasize the social distancing, all the things we were dealing with and thinking about at the time. Um, and your question was, we decided to shoot a <laughs> space station, spaceship. Yeah, right. So she's in a spaceship. So we're like, well, that, you know, that won't be hard. We'll just make so a... One of the buildings that we had access to um, in the basement was an empty, like, recording studio for a band. And so it was kind of perfect because we could just go in and we got some flats and built, you know... Flats. Garbage. garbage. We found a bunch we just, of garbage. We put posts on <laughs> Craigslist for styrofoam and things like that. And the entire set is just styrofoam that we either literally were diving in dumpsters for <laughs> or, or we're picking up at people's doorsteps around Houston because people Where were like, yeah, that? we have that. Yeah. It was, you know, not having a mask on and not meeting anybody, but, yeah, you know, still social distancing, but just going to get well, I'm not worried about that. I'm like, you're actually going to picking up garbage. Oh, yeah. yeah. To build your set. Yeah, because mm -hmm. we had no money, so we figured, you know. Yeah. And we had looked at, like, how people had built old, you know, sets for films and things, and a lot of it was. Like, how do you, yeah, how set, do you create set, uh, unique like, styles on the wall, and how do you make it look sci-fi? There's a super awesome anecdote about uh, Star Wars that somebody was talking yeah. about props and stuff. And this set me down a path of, like, oh, I, is, I look for anything where I'm, like, anything that gives me an excuse to do whatever I want. And then I just kind of like look at that. Oh, okay, good. That's my excuse that I'm allowed to do whatever I want. Right. And the Star Wars anecdote being that like the lightsaber, like one of the most iconic science fiction props of all time, is an old flashbulb holder for a for like a manual camera. Like one of those explodes and the bulb explodes, right? Just some old yeah. piece of garbage that they had on set. And windshield wipers that they just glued to the handle of it. And that's how you get a thing that a beam comes out of and the cool black like handle that's it like some like some intern was just hung over forgot to do it <laughs> and was just like oh god i gotta this go to the laser sword i gotta bring the laser sword to set uh uh, uh, uh that and now it's like they sell them for 300 dollars at the at disneyland amazing and so it was like that kind of idea it's like well if it looks good yeah it doesn't matter yeah same thing, I was like watching, listening to like Ridley Scott talk about, because he was a production designer and did on a whole Alien, bunch of... Yeah. On Alien, yeah. And like, he, everybody knows from Alien, but he spent... And like Blade Runner and all these things. <laughs> but he'd spent years doing commercials and doing um, production design. And he was just like... I remember he's, he's, he's had this anecdote about being on set for Blade Runner. Somebody was like, well, I've got this big box, but like I need a big giant prop for over here. We need, I need like a big machine for this. And he's like, just take that, turn it upside down. And they're like, you can't do that. And the production is like arguing with him. He's like, I'm the director, just do what I say. But also like, no one will notice. Amazing. Yeah. And so it was that idea of going like, well, I'll just cheat until, until, it, until cool. it looks good. And so it was like paint the styrofoam with old paint we had in the garage until it looks decent. We were and passable. not, yeah, couldn't breathe in the room because it was. Yeah. Until we, until you had to go spend money on like LED lights and stuff to like make ordering the, things off Amazon and thrifting things at Goodwill and. Just whatever you the could set put took together. three and a half months to build. Yeah. So really. So yeah. in that time, you're are just you filming working, anything. Oh, or no, no, just no. building. Just building, working. and I was getting ready for my second year of grad school, and and you were also building the space pod, 
the, the like the launched the escape pod yeah. the actual space station there was another set that, that and was, I was like doing a, costumes yeah she's building costumes and going to grad school full-time so where's this all these sets like living day to day that in the abandoned recording studio that's like right next to that so you, has that were you squatting space. there you were serious when you said you were squatting no there? no no, no. It, we know the people that own it and they right. were going to tear it down so we had this time where we're like, okay, we got this is to be done. So they were like, yeah, build it, keep it there. Yeah, it's we, good. they're going to tear it down not, anyway. We're not tearing it down until such and such date. Yeah. Because everything stopped because of COVID. So they were going to have someone buy the property, knew the whole thing, and they didn't have to worry about it for a while. So they were like, go for it. Just, you yeah, know, you, you have a deadline, but go and for it. And it ended up being, everything got pushed, everything, which was great. Because every time you'd be like, well, that the guy would be like, that deal fell through, but we can't rent it because nobody's renting out a recording studio right now. Like it was it was an interesting case of like all the terrible things that come with COVID were like our saving graces as far as like well if yeah. nobody's nobody's gonna use this space we shoot we shot an entire segment of the film in the Brown Theater in Houston which the is like Opera House the in Opera Houston House. because no one was going in there for anything there's no shows going on so we were able to rent it out for a day for a rehearsal rate. They were like, please, we need any money that we can because we can't get anybody in here. And so we had the, the entire subtext, theater. But they were still like, that was, yeah. well, we'll let you come in. And use <laughs> we'll allow you. Incredible people. But we had the whole theater to ourselves for a day of filming. And we wow. ran around and, yeah, it was a lot of work. But it was gorgeous. But and it would never happen. You never. Know, if the ballet was in there. and We couldn't afford it. Well, um, what's been going through my head as you're talking now, it goes back to Shang Yi's question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm almost thinking now, if it wasn't for the pandemic, maybe you couldn't have even done this film. Wouldn't have happened, wouldn't look as good. Yeah. Because one, the rates would have been different. Business would be as normal. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't have the funds, which you didn't. No. Yeah. And we wouldn't have had the time. Maybe that wouldn't have had the warehouse would have been yeah. demolished I, earlier. The yeah. state of California is going to hate to hear this, but like I spent all of the, <laughs> all of the money that they were like the unemployment money. Because <laughs> I had done jobs like off jobs and um, like whatever like just a voiceover gig here and there and all this stuff money make money in california and like my like driving for lyft or whatever um you do have a good voice like are you not doing audible books i want to hear you you did voiceover i did I, yeah i did a lot of like redubbing for uh russian features and stuff so <laughs> i was really good at the uh uh i was trying to think of which country it was it was a it was a, it was, a, it was a, not spanish very fast like where anything that was spanish or uh, uh, um, Italian ones would be really good because there's a lot of really fast words and like speaking then I could like cram a bunch of English words in it really quickly so it looked like it was somebody actually speaking that fast so they'd come in for those but it was that yeah, stuff was fun and it's hard you've done some of that like dubbing or anything have you ever done any no only on my own stuff like ADR stuff ADR sure Hobie. but that's not impossible right like you're like I don't know I did this now I'm trying to like make it sound I know. And You're like, like, oh, maybe uh, walk towards the mic. Walk. I'm like, why didn't we just do this on the yeah. day? <laughs> we had to do a lot of that. We had to so much, so much. Because we, at one point, we filmed in a in a art studio that. Um, just kids screaming. Just, yeah, like, there was, was like a like, gymnastics. This was a little later thing. in the pandemic when they started like doing. Because we shot over it took like a year and. A, yeah, we thought it was going to be a couple, maybe a couple months of filming, and it turned out to be way longer. Yeah. Um, 13 locations we ended up like sourcing and then like prepping and then building and then we'd go in there and shoot that section and then we'd be done and, then and we'd, we'd be up at dawn doing things or we'd be out at three o'clock in the morning um filming yeah. shots for but that leads us to, to start now which are we got to well 
I was going to ask, how many is in the cast of this film? Four major characters. Yeah. Um, we might be reshooting a scene. And adding In which case we'll have like a fifth in-person character. Yeah. Um, maybe. And you shot, so like your counterpart, Edgar? Who, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Jonathan Medina, who is... So he would shoot his scenes on his own? In Los Angeles on green screen over Zoom. And I would direct him and he would shoot it on like a Canon... $600-$700 camera that he like had that he used for like self-tapes and stuff and then he would shoot it on a green screen and I'd be like okay more light on that side of the green screen and I'd help him like set it up and then we'd act and then he'd send me the raw files and I would comp those into uh, conversations I would have with him where we have three or four scenes together where I like call him on a on a holopad that I ended up doing in post-production I had like visual effects for it but I'd call him on this beautiful piece of equipment that she designed and built for the film and uh, which was again like garbage, like an MMA glove that we that you cut up and yeah, like just. Um, but yeah, so he did that from afar, and I think we had a couple other people do some green screen stuff and send it in as well. Because yeah, there was a commercial for the commercial. A lot of them are my classmates from from my graduate program. I was like, do you guys want to come in and film for this? Because yeah. we just need someone to be like, ah, and that's doing it right. And yeah. so they were just my classmates, and we have one of my professors from the university is there for a brief time, and yeah, just anybody we could. And what's amazing is you guys said to me on set that prior to starting Echelon, you barely even touched a camera. Yeah, no. And now I, you know all about lighting, camera work, sound. You were doing sound on one point, focus pulling on another point. Yeah. This is all learning on a job. Yeah, absolutely. I I didn't have any interest in doing anything with film or television, and I just wanted to do stage. And, uh, and then I met this wonderful filmmaker who had spent five years learning absolutely anything and everything he could. And then, yeah, we wanted to do a project. We wanted to keep working on things and have something to show when we got out of the pandemic. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing this. And so he's rigging me up with all of the camera stuff, and I'm learning it, and I messed up so many things, but no, she I did. did. By the end of, like day six she was pulling focus better than me and like was getting the everything right all the time it's, in addition to being handily one of the if not the most talented actor that I've ever met it's just it could, it, as, as you know about acting or any sort of thing it's like how much attention can I put on like not myself not worrying about like whether I'm good enough or looking good enough it's like no it's just the thing needs to be good mm -hmm. I need to make sure it looks good and then be smart and talented, I guess. And then, so she just picked up everything. And it was, it wouldn't have been done without her. Or it would have just been some, like, home movie project or whatever. But the, yeah. I enjoyed it. It was a really huge challenge. It was something I'd never done. And, and he was so incredibly helpful teaching me and being like, no, 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 you, you got to do this instead of this. And you pick up on it pretty quickly when you're doing it every single day and spending well, hours. I was blown away at how seamless you guys would make this work. Like, one minute you'd be on sound and you're on sound. At one point, we're acting in our scene together. So you're doing sound, sl s slates, focus pull, camera, yeah. action, yeah. camera work. I'm like, this is incredible. The, the tenacity to think, okay. Well, we were lucky because we had somebody else besides ourselves to shoot when you were there. So there was three of us instead of just two. Yeah, because usually like, if we were oh, filming man. in like the theater or something, you have to have someone on camera to see how does the light look. You have to have someone standing in. So if it was a shot he had to be in, then I had to like check everything around him if it was, you know. So it was like any shot doing that everything. I am, she's shooting it. Anytime she's in a shot, 
I'm shooting it. And then anytime it's the both of us in a shot, which is like a lot of our film takes place in like a virtual reality world where our two characters are interacting and there's like nobody else around. And it's just, which is, because it's in this world where why would there not only be the two of us? It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, because it's her own private virtual reality simulation. Then we'd have to set the thing up on on a tripod and set it up on walk sticks in and, a frame and, and, and walk in a frame sure and be like, get the thing with the cable going to it so we could like see how it looks and like make sure the lights look good. There's, Bo Burnham's inside is a really great example of watching somebody try to like put everything put, together, put everything together all by themselves, and he's brilliant. He, Bo Burnham, mm -hmm. yeah. They, you see his special. His um, I haven't. Oh my god, dude. He's just alone. Same thing. It's so good. But he's very much emphasizing the fact that he's doing it alone, all by himself. So you get to watch him like see how the light makes him look, like, and then like move his face. And, yeah, we have a lot of like, BTS footage of us with like. He's in frame, and I'm like pushing a dolly, and then I'm adjusting the focus and making sure it's not falling off, and then I'm adjusting my dress and walking into frame to act with him, and then I'm like, okay, I have to back up and do it again because that didn't look good. Yeah, and repeating that. There's a great shot of me thinking that like I could do a. I have like a. We have this easy rig at one point because we were like gonna break our necks, so it's just so like much a, stiff. It's just like a stick that holds a camera that like you can do this, and I've got this thing on, and I've got my jacket. Oh, on I've over seen it. those. Yeah, and I'm like trying to make it look like I'm in the shot, but you can't see the he easy rig. He was convinced that he could take a full like, rig and make it look like a selfie, essentially. No way. So and like I could move it and be like, I wanted this shot where like I would like look at the thing, and then she'd be behind me and she'd say a word, and it would like discover her behind me. It's the dumbest shot. You're like, it's not gonna work, and you gotta like. It was like midnight in the theater, and he's like, No, I can make this work. I can do this. Did you? No, oh, God, no. God, no. Yeah. There's so many of those, though. So many moments where you're like... That didn't work. Okay. I will try this, because I must, because it's the pandemic, and nobody's here to do it for me, so... I'm so inspired by this, because, again, it's like, you know, I have my 8X community. The whole point of that is, like, being your best self, being better than yesterday, you know, striving to grow. Mm -hmm. You guys... What is it? Did you take lemons and make lemonades? You guys made a feast. Like, this is unbelievable. Thank you. Even, yeah. Look, regardless of the finished product, but I think I've, with what the setup was, even on the day we were on the Green Screen Studio. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you got a chance to see a little bit of it, too. Yeah, it's yeah, incredible. It, I was like, well, when you sent me that scene, mm -hmm. that's when I s said to my manager, I was like, I got to be part of this. Like, how are they even doing this? What a learning experience, let alone what a great experience. And as it turns out, we've become mates Yeah. in a very short space of time. But there's so much I want to learn from you guys. And I'm hoping that people, when they listen to this, whether they're filmmakers or not, it's it's taking the takeaway is you can do whatever you want. If you put your mind to it, you're willing to go through garbage yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> to make some uh, make, make, a lot make, of make art out of a lot of that garbage, you know? Yeah. I'm blown away. It's amazing. Well, you're, I mean, yeah, but yeah, but you Someone said, <laughs> who is, has a podcast and a band and someone yeah, who has on. been doing theater and you, you are a person who goes out and, and does I'm that. I'm surrounded by amazing people, amazing team, my band are amazing. Absolutely. I just show up. You guys are doing this all yourself. There's so many people. I mean, like, this is another thing, like, where do I get permission? It's like, well, fuck, I can do it then. If that person's not doing it or this, this is, this garbage is on this thing. It's like, how many people do you know? Just that you don't, clearly don't name any names, but like. How many people have the money, the resources, the time? They could call whoever they wanted to. They're just not. Lazy. Or just, or just there's no need. Mm. They got it already. They're, they're already doing the thing. I have a friend, Jonathan Medina, who's in the film, who's, who's on The Purge and much other things. He's so hungry to do more stuff. He just did a Disney Plus show. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. But uh, he, 
he just like, he has so many friends that have been doing the business in LA as actors for years and years and they're successful and they have like clout and, and money and, and they, they're able to like yeah. have whole projects start and they just don't do it. And then they end up being like, they're like 55 going like, I should start producing. And it's like, yeah, yeah, and you should, but then. What else? And it's never too late to start, but like, why why weren't you doing it when you had that two years off when you were not doing anything? Why were you right. not interested? Because like, cause, I don't know. And well, I don't want to be judgmental either because I don't know. I, some people just don't. Aren't wired like that. Yeah, it's, only, it's not that what they want. It's not that they're not, they're, it's not their passion, you know. But the takeaway is, I guess, stay hungry. If you want to eat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which you are. You're doing it, man. Oh, man, it's going to be fun. We both have done incredible things in such, again, a short space of time, you know. So what's the plan? When when are we hoping to see this film? Uh, so we have to, you know, we have to go shoot. We want to redo a reshoot of the middle scene, or of a, middle, of, middle of, act there. Yeah, and then we're going to try and get... Um, Although there's a lot of post-production that's already done because I learned visual effects and started doing that and that took seven months or so of just like going, I don't know. But it's mostly a finished film and that's one of the perks of doing it this way is like we're plugging you into it and then changing things around your performance which brought so much to it. Um, so it should be a few months. And then we're going to like shop it around to different distribution companies and that's its own freaking nightmare. nightmare. And, yeah, I bet. Um, yeah, maybe we'll just put it out there and whoever wants to buy it or rent it can just do that so. well i'm sure we're gonna see it and we'll uh I obviously i'll help as much as i can oh, but i really appreciate you guys first being on the hang and having me in your film echelon oh, i've learned so much watching you both you guys and how you work as a team so seamlessly through a pandemic as a couple still together <laughs> that's unbelievable not once did you argue on the day on the set too and with creatives there's always an argument <laughs> there was none of that arguments ever not once you guys balance each other out him, no. <laughs> oh did you guys argue oh yeah <laughs> okay on. so you are human oh, yes oh yes she's it's hard she's got the patience of just a goddess well the respect you monster. guys have for each other was so clear on that day and it's like when perhaps when you got stressed you knew how to balance that ball and then vice versa and i was like this this dance is beautiful thank you man listen See, you're easy to work with, so it didn't. It wasn't like there was any problem. Well, it was Except funny. it was freezing it was, cold. That oh was my god! Most it pressure. was very cold. But... <laughs> it was fun though. Usually, I ask this question, and I've never had two at once. So, very quickly. Sorry. <laughs> what made you smile yesterday? Mm, he made me smile yesterday. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> what made you smile yesterday? Oh man. You How are you gonna answer that? Yeah. How would you have answered? <laughs> I was, I was, it was you. No, it was, it was, <laughs> she made me smile yesterday, every day, every single day. First, first childhood memory that comes to your mind, Lauren? Uh, walking um, with my grandpa and um, when I was very young, and telling him I loved him more than squirrels. Oh, yeah. It's not fair. I get to think longer than she does. You put her on the yeah, spot. but that's quite the answer. So uh, it's pretty good. I, it's terrible because it's childhood walking. I remember like being a kid and like looking up at a, at, like this long path, and just being like, "That's scary." So I kind of want to go up there. Is that your childhood memory? You looking oh, yeah. at that it's like I was like on a walk in like Walnut Creek, California, where I was born. And my I don't remember if I was walking with my mom or what, but it's just like looking up a. That's scary. Like a weird like a driveway for. 
know, when you're a kid, everything is like yeah. huge. This is like this. Carry this me. Terrifying. <laughs> no, you're yeah. six foot eight. I'm not going to take you. Yeah. As a toddler, yes. Yeah. Six yeah. Foot eight, yeah. How can my incredible supporters support you guys? How they look out for what you're doing? We have uh, our Instagram and Facebook, Stenic Studios. Stenic Studios? Us, yes, you can follow us there. S-T-H-E-N-I-C Studios. Um, our Instagram. Our Instagrams, yeah. Lauren can, underscore Stenishall and at Crash Buist. And where can we watch that? I want to see that one minute uh, short film you did with the delivery people. That's uh, on, that'll be up on Stenic. Yeah, well, we're going to post that on the, on the, the Instagram. Website. Yes, Instagram. Great, and if you want me to push that on my app, I'll put it on there for you guys as okay. well. We'll yeah. send you a sort of a medium quality version of the film. Then. <laughs> send a high quality. Because there's no good internet in London, it turns out. I've been trying to yes. upload. Oh, my it's God. All night. <laughs> oh, my God. Everything is just put together with, like, garbage can lids and copper wire here. Yeah. It's not a... But we make do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, all the best. Thanks for hanging. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much, man. You've been listening to The Hang. I am Ramin Karamloo. The Hang is produced by Mercy Productions and Desert Highway and recorded at Soho Live Studios. Check out my new app. Go to ramin.fan.direct where you can find brand new content, giveaways, and exclusive news. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.